Our first passage is from Luke, chapter 22, verses 7 to 23, and that can be found on page 905 of your Bibles. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Uh, second reading tonight is going to be from 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 to 34. It's going to be found on page 987 of your church Bibles. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. 
That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we, so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good evening, friends. My name's Keith. I'm a member of the 945 congregation and I have a privilege of speaking with you tonight. Uh, let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we uh, thank you for the great joy and delight it is to be able to meet together in your name. Father, we ask that you would pour your Holy Spirit upon us and this night that you would strengthen us in our faith, in our trust in you, in understanding what you have done for us in our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might live lives that honour and glorify your great name. And we ask for this mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, if you've been around the last couple of months, we've been doing this series on the church. It's sort of getting near the end now. And uh, this week and next week, we're looking at the two sacraments of the church, the Lord's Supper and baptism. So I have a question for you. What's a sacrament? Um, don't have to answer, okay? But uh, really interesting, you know how Christians sort of disagree on a whole lot of things? When it comes to the sacraments, boy, the differences, the disagreements are massive. So um, some people reckon, some Christian sects say there's seven sacraments, some say there's two sacraments. Some say there's no sacraments. They don't even exist at all. And um, let's think about the Lord's Supper for a moment. In, uh, in some churches, if you go to, say, a Roman Catholic church, a high Anglican church, it's a very um, ornate, uh, formal ritual that takes place. And the minister up the front's dressed up in very special garments and does certain actions and all sorts of other stuff goes on. Uh, for other Christians, the, the whole thing's very informal. They might just gather around a table together and share a meal and eat a bit of bread and drink some grape juice and remind each other that Jesus died for them. Interesting. Now, those more formal expressions, I think perhaps to many in our world, that actually makes more sense because most people think uh, religion is about performing certain actions, certain rituals to get you on side with whatever God or gods that you believe in and to, you know, stay on side with the, the divine, whatever you think that is. But, um, but the Christian faith in the Bible, it's not primarily about rituals and doing stuff. In fact, uh, in the early church in the first century, do you know what Christians were accused of? They're accused of being atheists. It's pretty weird, isn't it? But you see, they didn't sacrifice to the Roman gods. They didn't do the stuff that everybody else did um, in society, all the religious sort of rituals and all of those sort of things. They weren't very religious 
at all. And um, this raises another issue about the sacraments because they can so easily become something that is very religious and a ritual and something that people think actually gets them on side with God in a way that um, actually misunderstands the essence of the Christian faith. Because as soon as you start thinking that way, we actually slash off the legs from underneath the Christian faith. That God's favour doesn't come to us through anything that we do, but purely due to his grace towards us in the Lord Jesus. And this is one of those problems that led to what we know as the Protestant Reformation. Uh, in, in the Europe, in the 1500s, uh, the church at that time... Uh, for them, the Lord's Supper had become something that you do to earn God's favour. And they believe that, that in this ceremony, uh, there's only one sacrifice of Christ, but they believed that as you performed this ceremony, Christ would be re-sacrificed again and again and again. And each time, that would put you in a good standing with God and earn his favour in some way. Uh, they believe as the priest offered the sacrifice, he could pray for his sins to be forgiven and for the congregation's sins to be forgiven and even for dead people's sins to be forgiven. And God would be obliged to do that because they'd offered this sacrifice. Now, you might think that having a reformation would sort out all the problems and all the Protestants would be on the same page. But no, no, far from it. They all disagreed amongst themselves as well. So here's a few names for you, okay? Martin Luther, John Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli. I love their names. All had completely different ideas about what the Lord's Supper was all about. So I've got some problems. Diverse opinion, who's right? And does, do these sacraments in some way actually undermine our understanding of God's grace towards us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to suggest to you, if we actually get what sacraments are, we'll see they don't undermine grace. In fact, they're a beautiful expression of grace. Okay? And that's really a key idea I hope we can take away this evening. So two things we're going to look at. We're going to start off with the general. We're going to look at sacraments, what they are, try and make sense of them, and then we'll focus secondly particularly on the Lord's Supper and what, what it's about. Okay, so here we go. And I've got a few slides, which hopefully will help us along the way. Uh, first up, sacraments are visible words to strengthen our faith. Now, what do I mean by a visible word? Okay, there's some visible words up there. That's not what I mean. Uh, over the centuries, a number of great Christian thinkers, have, have they've used this language to describe the sacraments. Um, people like St. Augustine, and some of the reformers, and in using this language, they're trying to protect something, protect something very precious and special. And if you listen to that prayer that Alison prayed, you'll know what this very special thing is, and it's the word of God. It's the word of God. Um, the central role that it plays in the Christian life. They didn't want to be distracted from that. Uh, the word of God is a means of grace to us. And by means of grace, I mean simply something that God uses to bless us, um, to bring benefit to us. And the channel that he uses to keep us growing in our Christian life is normally the word of God. 
Um, that's how we come to know what God is like and how much he loves us and how, how faithful he is and trustworthy he is and how, how we can move forward in life, um, in our Christian growth, um, trusting him, serving him, obeying him. The word of God, it's a wonderful blessing to us. And by calling the sacraments visible words, these guys are trying to say, what's going on here is not something very different from what the word of God is. These things are closely tied together. And uh, I, think, I think what's going on is that God sort of understands that our, our faith can be weak and he gives us these signs that engage more of our senses, that help us believe the word. Because in the Lord's Supper, what happens? Um, we hear the word of God, yes, but more than that, we see something. We touch something. We taste something. It's more concrete. And sometimes we need that. And I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. Now, so the sacraments, the word of God, it's a means of grace to us. The sacraments are signs that are also means of grace to us. Now, by signs, I mean that they, they point to something. They point to God's love to us in Christ. And a little bit more history. Back then in those 1500s, you may know the Church of England split from the Church of Rome. You know, Henry, Henry VIII, all that sort of stuff. But um, as time went on, during the time of Elizabeth I, the church put out a series of um, articles of faith. They are known as the 39 Articles. And they set out, this is what we as a church believe, this is what we don't believe. And it's still actually the basis of what we believe in our church here today. Now, uh, some of these articles, they actually talk about the sacraments. And I want to, I want to show you a couple of them. So have a look here. This is Article 25. Excuse the archaic language, okay? They wrote it, you know, 1500s. But hopefully you'll get the gist. Sacraments ordained of Christ be not only badges or tokens of Christian men's profession, but rather they be certain sure witnesses and effectual signs of grace and God's good will towards us, by the which... He doth work invisibly in us and doth not only quicken, that's make alive, but also strengthen and confirm our faith in him. Okay, what is that, what's that saying? It's saying they point to God's goodness to us. And do you see that word effectual? Um, that means they work. They work. That just as listening to the word of God week by week, day by day, builds us up and strengthens our faith. So participating in the sacraments build us up and strengthen our faith. Now, there's a thing about signs, right? Some signs are very clear. Some signs, you're not quite sure what they mean. Uh, they're ambiguous. Now, what does this mean? Thumbs up. Approval, right? Agreement, yeah. Um, now, you might think it means that. Apparently, don't do this in Bangladesh, Apparently, it's an insulting sign in Bangladesh. Now, what does this mean? Okay, I'm beckoning you to come forward. Apparently, if the internet is true, that's, that's questionable, isn't it? But okay, this is what I read. Apparently, if you go like this um, in certain countries in Asia, that's a very offensive thing to do. Uh, you would only do this to a dog 
And apparently in the Philippines, you could get yourself arrested if you did that to another person. There you go. Ambiguous. Now, you think about someone and uh, they've got no Christian background at all and they're watching television and there's a Lord's Supper service and there's no sound, okay? The sound's off. They're just watching this. What does it mean? How do they know? They don't. And this is why the Reformers said, whenever we partake of the sacraments, we have the word preached as well uh, to explain what's happening so that we're not distracted it doesn't become some ritual so we're not distracted from the essence of the christian faith which is about god's grace to us in christ now they i'm saying okay there are means of grace they bring us a benefit but only when received rightly that is by faith now have a look at what it says here in article 28 it says to such as rightly worldly and with faith receive the sacrament and uh, some branches of Christianity, they, they really think the sacraments are sort of magical and they work irrespective of what's going on in a person's head or what's going on in a person's heart. It's just you turn up, bang, you get this benefit from God. Now, I used to know this guy and um, this guy virtually, God, God ignored God virtually every, aspect, every part of his life, just went out, did his own thing, um, slept around, got drunk, you name it, he did it. Uh, Sunday mornings though, goes along to mass takes the sacrament and he thinks in his head ah slate's wiped clean i'm fine with god now and then he just goes out and does it all again the next week that's not how it works not how it works god offers his grace to us it's a gift but the gift has to be received rightly and we do that when we have hearts that trust him uh, that want to live faithfully for him that confess our failings before him just one more thing to note about sacraments. There is only two, I believe, um, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, the Roman Catholic Church says there's seven. The Anglican Church says two. Uh, Article 25 again. There are two sacraments ordained of Christ our Lord in the gospel, that is to say baptism and the supper of the Lord. Now, why only two? It all comes back to Jesus. He only put in place two. Matthew 28, he told his followers to make disciples of all nations, baptising them and teaching them everything that he taught. And uh, we'll, hear, we'll hear more about baptism next week. And at the Last Supper, if you're listening to the first Bible reading, we heard there Jesus told his followers to eat the bread, to drink the wine in remembrance of him. So two sacraments. So that, that's what a sacrament is. It's this visible word. It's an activity that, that's a sign of of something given by God to strengthen us in our faith, our trust in him. So let's now just spend a few moments focusing upon the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And I want to suggest to you the Lord's Supper, it's a sign, all sacraments are signs, they point to something, it's a sign that points to the gospel, uh, to that wonderful message of God's grace to us in Christ. Have a look here at Article 28. And um, I'm not going to read the first little bit, but second line, the supper is a sacrament of our redemption by Christ's death. And then it goes on, when we receive it rightly, we partake in the body of Christ and we partake in the blood of Christ. Um, a sacrament of our redemption, Christ's death. Then in thinking through how it's a sign of the gospel, I want to suggest to you four things, four things that show it's a sign. 
Uh, we look back, we look up, we look forward, we look around. Let me just try and unpack that for you. Uh, firstly, we look back to our redemption in Christ. Uh, in that first Bible reading, there at that Last Supper, Jesus, before, just before he dies, he shares this special meal with his disciples called the Last Supper. And it was in the context of a, a Passover meal. Now, what was the Passover all about? Back in the Old Testament, God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt. And he wanted them never to forget about that. So he set up this thing called the Passover. Every year, they had to commemorate that event. They had to eat a meal together. They had to tell the story of God's rescue again. Why? So they wouldn't forget. So it kept shaping their identity, their lives. And in the Last Supper, as they ate that Passover meal, Jesus reinterpreted it. And he said, the Passover, it's going to be fulfilled in my death and resurrection. And um, our real enemy, it's, it's not another nation like Egypt. The, 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 the real enemies are sin and death and the devil. They're the things that Christ rescues us from. And just as the Passover meal had to be repeated, Jesus wants his people to eat bread, to drink wine, to remember his death that brought us freedom from those things that really do undercut um, our true humanity. And that's what was taking place in the church in Corinth in ancient Greece, uh, which was read about in our second Bible reading. If you've got your Bible open there, page 987, 1 Corinthians 11, if you look at verse 23, the next few verses, it, it, it actually quotes Jesus' words from the Last Supper. And that's what they're doing here in the church. And how that death, Jesus was saying, how it um, brings about a new covenant, verse 25, between God and his people, um, a new relationship between God and his people where sin has finally been properly dealt with. And so Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget this event, this event that changes your life for eternity. Don't forget. Now, there's different ways of forgetting, isn't there? I once learnt the Hebrew language. I have almost completely forgotten it. They say use it or lose it. I didn't use it. I lost it. Um, but there's another way of forgetting. It's not that we don't know the facts anymore. It's just that they're so far in the back of our mind that they just don't have much impact on everyday life. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, think about the Anzacs. Do you know the Anzac story? I bet you do. You know the facts, you know the story. You can tell the story. How often do you think about it? If you're like me, not very often. But what happens on Anzac Day? Our minds are focused on remembrance. Lest we forget their sacrifice, lest we forget their sacrifice that maintained our freedom. And what the Lord's Supper does, it's a bit like that. Because in the chaos of everyday life, you know, work and relationships and keeping the home running and Staying up to date with Instagram and Facebook, all of these things, they just distract us and they, they take our attention. 
And what the Lord's Supper does, it brings our consciousness back to this wonderful truth of our rescue by our Lord Jesus Christ. Lest we forget. So we look back to our redemption in Christ. We also look up to the communion we share with Christ. We're going to say those words in a little bit later. Lift up your hearts to the Lord. We lift them up. Why do we look up? So that's where Christ is, seated with the Father. And the Lord's Supper, it's not just something to jog our memory. Remember, it's a means of grace. It actually brings us real spiritual benefit. And if you've got your Bible open, just look back to the previous page. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? It's saying we really share in the blessings Christ has won for us. As we partake of the bread and wine, we receive his forgiveness afresh. We are reminded again that, we, that he, he has brought us into his family as his beloved children. Because, you see, sometimes we find it hard to believe that. Do you ever feel like God's not very close to you? And God may not feel close, but when we eat and drink, we're drawn into this truth that Jesus is our brother, that the blessings he's won are ours. We're sharing in them with him. Now, I'll tell you a story. I once worked in a church where um, I had, this woman came up to me and she said, I can't take the Lord's Supper. I am not worthy to take the Lord's Supper. Now, that's a highly ironic statement because what's the one thing that makes you worthy to participate in the lord's supper not being worthy and when i say that i'm not saying that we as human beings are worthless no 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 what i'm saying is we have nothing of worth to offer to god that could ever put him in in debt to us and earn his favor nothing and i said to her you must come forward to receive the bread and wine to remind you, you are God's beloved child and he loves you and he's gracious towards you. I know someone else who, um, who actually became a Christian receiving the Lord's Supper. Uh, he found real communion with Christ as he ate the bread and drank the wine, as he received Christ as his Lord and Saviour. So we lift up our hearts and we share in the blessings Christ has won for us. So we look back, we look up, we look forward to sharing the heavenly banquet with Christ. This, this very simple meal, it's an anticipation of the life that awaits us in heaven. And one of the great images in the scriptures for the life to come is of this wonderful great banquet, the good life. And in the Last Supper, did you notice these words that Jesus said? He said, to his disciples, he wouldn't eat the meal again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. Now, there is so much that is beautiful and wonderful in this world, isn't there? Being with people you love and um, doing things you enjoy. Uh, every time I get on the train and over the Harbour Bridge, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by how beautiful this city is and what a blessing it is to live here. But what the Lord's Supper does, it draws our minds forward and it reminds us no matter how good life might be here the best is yet to come
Last thing, we look around. We look around to the fellowship we share with other believers through Christ. See, the Lord's Supper, not just about me and God, not just about you and God. It's about us together. Jesus' death doesn't just draw us into fellowship with him, it draws us into fellowship with every other believer and we become family. How do relationships work in God's family? We love each other. We love each other. Listen again to the start of Article 28. The Supper of the Lord is not only a sign. What it means is it's this, it's something else as well, okay? A sign of the love that Christians ought to have among themselves one to another. And this wasn't happening in Corinth. Did you hear that? Listen to the reading. Paul says when that church comes together to share in the Lord's Supper, they're not doing that at all. Why not? Well, some eat all the food, some get drunk, some go hungry. It's not love. The church of God is being despised. And we are not to be like this as a church. We can't be best friends with everybody, right? We just can't do that. We're human. We're limited. What this means is we are not to be out of relationship with each other. We're not to have hatred in our hearts towards another, to despise another, to ignore another, to look down upon another. It is an appalling thing to do that for a brother or sister for whom Christ died. And so we're warned there, towards the end of that passage, to examine ourselves, to make sure we are in right relationship with each other. And we don't come to this meal when we're not getting on with our brothers and sisters. And when we do come, it's a level playing field. We're all forgiven sinners. You might have heard this story before, but it's a great story, so I'm going to tell it to you again. Um, There's two men in a church. They're kneeling at the communion table at the front. One's a convicted burglar. The other one is the judge of the court who actually sent that burglar to prison for seven years. And after the service, the judge is to, the pastor's talking to the judge and they said, the pastor says, uh, did you realise who you were kneeling besides this morning? And the judge said, yes, it's a miracle of grace. And uh, the pastor said, yes, it's extraordinary that he got converted after he came out of prison. And the judge says, I wasn't thinking of him. I was thinking of me. That God could take someone like me with all my human achievements and all my pride, all my self-deception and enabled me to admit that I was no better in the eyes of God than that convict I sent to prison. That is a miracle of grace. And when we get grace, we we, we become a, a community of humble, gracious, thankful people. And we know really that we are a group of losers for whom God in his mercy has rescued us, brought us from death to life. And we can live together in love and harmony because we've got nothing to prove and nothing to hide. And then this family meal gives wonderful expression to that truth, what we're sharing together. So time to wrap up. I just want to say to you, friends, I want to say our God is so kind. 
because we were lost and dead in our sin. In Christ, he reaches out. He rescues us. But he doesn't stop there because he knows we still go on, we're still weak, we're still helpless. We still find sin trips us up. We still doubt. So he gives us this gift of grace, the Lord's Supper. A concrete symbol that God has rescued us, that he is for us, that he delights in sharing his blessings with us. Shall we pray? Father, we do want to thank you that you are a God of such kindness and compassion. Father, thank you for bringing us back from death to life. Thank you for the mercy you've shown us in our Lord Jesus. And Father, thank you for your gift of sacraments to strengthen our faith when we are struggling and to remind us that you are always for us and love us. And we give you thanks in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.